listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Eaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hey folks, how's it going? Welcome back for another episode. My guest for this episode is professional sailor Erica Lush. Erica began sailing at a young age with positive influence from her parents and followed her passion sailing competitively for her high school and university teams. Erica is also involved in the Maiden Factor. Maiden carried the first all-female crew to sail around the world when Tracy Edwards skippered her in the 1989-1990 Whitbread Round the World race. Having fallen into disrepair from neglect, Tracy found Maiden in 2015 and set about raising funds to bring her back. Erica talks about her involvement in sailing on Maiden with the Foundation in a professional capacity, as well as the mission of the Maiden Factor. We hear about her experiences bringing Maiden through both the Panama and Suez Canals in the same year, handling repairs underway, and the value of having a bell pepper aboard. She also gives us the background and plan forward for the program, and how COVID has had an impact on that. For many summers, Erica has been involved with the 12-meter charter fleet here in Newport. Last summer, Erica captained the 12-meter Weatherly, which had recently sold, and she shares some of her experiences with us. With COVID placing a lot of programs on hold, Erica has delved into the world of double-handed sailing, and she shares some insights about teamwork and boat management when there's just two of you. I had a great time talking with Erica and learning her insights and perspectives on sailing. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Erica. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. You are a professional sailor. Yeah. You've been sailing a long time. Um, I think, and I put two and two together here, I know your dad. Um, oh, I, remember, I believe I remember him from the O-Star days. Yep, exactly. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't know him, so it's fun to meet people who, who do. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about him, and then I ran into him maybe four or five years ago at one of these sort of social events in Newport that has a, a bit of a, an educational component to it, and he was there in his new capacity – uh, with a he develops websites or something like that, and I put yep. two and two together. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So, did he introduce you to sailing, or is it was that how you got into it? Yeah, my parents both sailed, um, and my dad obviously did a lot of ocean stuff. So um, that kind of got my eyes set on on going offshore from a pretty pretty early age. Did you compete in school? Is that did were you on a school team? Yeah, yeah, my high school and my college both had sailing teams. So um, I went to North Kingstown High School um, over in over the bridge, and went to college at Boston University. Both of All right, teams. and you sailed with for BU. Yep. Oh, excellent. And now I want to talk about the Maiden Factor. That was a, that's a big thing that I I looked into. But currently, you you work with America's Cup Charters. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been um, I've been with them for a while now in the summers, and this summer I just was running one of the boats that had just sold, so had a new owner, and it sold right at the beginning of the charter season. They needed someone to step in and who kind of already knew the program. Was that Weatherly? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I just for years I've I've been on the harbor and I just picture George at the helm of Weatherly. Yeah. Always. Yeah. That's a little weird. I don't have the same gray hair, but uh <laughs> <laughs> he's iconic. One thing I saw that was interesting, you have a post on your Facebook athlete page with a quote by you. It says, I decided that as long as the sight of me driving a boat was a surprise to people, it was still important that I'd be doing it. And it looks like, I, are you on Weatherly at that point? Are you on? Um, the I think the photo they used on that was, was driving Maiden, but 
Um, oh, it was Maiden. Okay, sure. But that was that's definitely why a big part of why I I continued working on boats. Um, just in that, and that was primarily in the capacity of driving the twelve meters around. That I would often get double takes. <laughs> and uh, really, definitely people remark about it all the time on the boat. Actually, this summer was the we got. There were more female skippers in the harbor this summer than I've ever seen. I think maybe five or six of us on the charter boats were um, female captains, which was amazing. And I, the the common remark of people just comment on the fact that you're female. I I got that much less this summer, maybe a handful of times, but usually oh, really? it was like a d- daily occurrence. Yeah, so it was interesting. So and it's not it, just it that they observe it; they feel the need to remark on it. I mean, it's not a it's not a negative fact but it's it's apparently remarkable mm. to to see a woman at the helm you know it, it was just interesting that fewer people chose to remark on it oh, and oh, there were more of us doing it yeah uh on that note wrong mouse sorry so i have my notes on this computer <laughs> since we're talking about that um let's talk about maiden voyage how did you get involved with that program uh maiden factor um, i'm sorry maiden factor yes maiden That's voyage right. was the original yeah there's a few different um maiden title books and stories so and all to do with women and sailing so it's a little <laughs> bit funny but maiden is of course the the boat's name and then the maiden factor is the current um program being run with the boat i joined that boat in january of 2019 um i was meant to be just a temporary crew to get the boat from Greece to India was our plan at the time. And I had about 48 hours notice to fly out. <laughs> they they needed someone. I, I don't know why they needed someone so quickly at the time. But anyway, I had about 48 hours notice to fly out to Greece. And we were spent to leave within 24 hours to sail to Egypt. And we did that. Basically, we left the dock and started sailing for Egypt. And I think the first night out, you know, a squall came with 40 knots in it, 45 knots in it. And they went to chuck a reef in and the cars were part of the track was not perfectly aligned on the mainsail track. So when they went to lower the sail, it would not come past a certain point. So they had to send someone up with a mallet to persuade it down. At which point we were, we had come out of a refit that was, we're still working out quite a few problems. And at that point, the skipper at the time, Nikki Henderson decided, you know, that's, we're about to go into kind of not frequently sailed territory. And then the Indian ocean, if we're the boat's not ready. We're not. We're not going. It's not like we're going between ports in the Caribbean. So we turned around, stayed in Greece for a month, and then sorted out all the issues, and then went on from there. Oh wow! So were you were you hired as part of a delivery crew, or, or were you had you gone through the process to be part of the permanent uh, crew for I, that segment, that leg? I hadn't. So we we hadn't started the formal process of having guests and mile builders on board at that point. So I was meant just to be delivery crew, um, but then of course with the the holdups with the the need for more seed trialing. Basically, um, we stayed in Greece longer, and then by the time we we were happy with the boat, the weather patterns and other things had changed. So instead of going to India, we went to Sri Lanka, and then from Sri Lanka we went to Australia. And in Sri Lanka, we picked up our first mile builders for their world tour. So that's mm-hmm. where the tour officially began. And then I stayed with them until we got to Sydney, Australia. Now I I did a little bit of research, but for someone who might be listening and doesn't know what the program is. Could you explain that program and how it helps women and and maybe young girls? Yeah, absolutely. So the Maiden Factor, oh my gosh, it's such a big program. It's hard to break it down. <laughs> First of all, it's a historic boat. So 
Maiden was famous for having competed in the Whitbread Around the World race in 1989 to 1990 with an all-female crew. So it's the first boat to have raced around the world with an all-female crew, um, which even today is, you know, <laughs> it's not been done a lot. So in 1989, I can only imagine uh, the waves that were thrown by that. <laughs> so the boat basically was lost track of after the race and was rediscovered in 2014, I believe. Um, it had been abandoned and kind of ransacked in quite bad shape. And the yard it was at in the Seychelles was ready to scuttle the boat. So they somehow, they got a hold of Tracy Edwards, who was the, the skipper in 1989. Um, and she had started that, that team, that program. So Tracy got a hold of the boat and did not know what she was going to do with it. But she had been working with with girls' education and kind of human rights issues, with particularly with young girls over the years. So her daughter, um, her daughter Matt, came up with the idea to form what is now the Maiden Factor. So it has kind of two segments of the mission, but one segment works with charities and raises funds and awareness for girls' education around the world. So we, we were working with six different charities, which all focused on specific barriers to girls' access to education worldwide. And then the other half of the program is still devoted to promoting women in the sport of sailing. So we go offshore with, with women, I think 18 or older was our cap, but we had you know, people coming from all different backgrounds and they would come on board for a leg offshore. And a lot of times it would be their first time offshore. Sometimes they had been offshore before, but it was a special leg or they wanted to progress. So quite cool. And what's the, the split on the boat between those who are professional like yourself who know what's going on and maybe somebody who it's their first offshore uh, experience? Um, it's a pretty impressive ratio, I think, as far as training is concerned because there's four of us full-time plus a skipper who would change, but they were, they were essentially full-time. So five full-timers and then um, up to four guests, mm -hmm. four mile builders. So it's, you know, it's basically a one-to-one -one ratio. How many does it take to successfully crew that particular boat or comfortably crew it? We go offshore with eight or nine. Uh, eight or nine. Yeah. But we also do quite long legs most of the time. Mm. Uh, we've done, we can certainly do it with fewer people, on this, especially on the shorter legs. But uh, And you were you the lead skipper on one of the legs? No, no. No. Oh, okay. You're just permanent crew on one of the legs. Um, yes, uh, I, I rejoined the boat permanently in August 20, 2019. So I basically, I had joined them in the winter, in the beginning of 2019. I came home for 12 Meter Worlds, and then as soon as that ended, a spot reopened on the boat permanently. So mm -hmm. I rejoined them then. One of the things I noticed from looking at, I think it was that website or their social media, you also took on other roles beyond just sailor you have obviously mechanical skills and rigging skills and there was one particular video where they filled the cockpit or <laughs> one of the footwells with water to test your your repair work yeah we had um courtney coos and i were were our bunks were stacked on one on top of the other and we uh -huh. were subject to some very wet nights below deck um at the Whoa. beginning of the tour so that was back when the boat was in greece and we'd sealed up i mean it, <laughs> the leak the leak issue was really a, a little crazy because it wasn't coming from anything obvious you know it's it's usually pretty clear <laughs> you could follow the drip but it, we 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 made some improvements but there was still a bit of a mystery once in a while what they call that water ingress yes water <laughs> ingress that's right if that's the right word i'm not sure i just noticed that this past summer you you did a double-handed 
race in Long Island. Is that that's an area that appeals to you? I take it. Yeah, double handed is um, definitely an area I'd like to do more in. Um, I think in large part because you have to do everything, and I've always been I've always pushed myself to be an all rounder. I've never been a just a sailmaker, just a rigger, just anything in particular. So, Mm. um, but because of that, I also don't have one professional specialty and, and I don't feel strong enough about any, any particular specialty to commit to just the one. So, um, double handed feels like it would really push every aspect of, of racing and boat maintenance and all of that. Had you sailed with the, the, your partner on this particular race? Had you sailed with them before? No, I, uh, I applied to the Oak Cliff program as a um, single applicant for the shorthanded program. Mm-hmm. And we I really um, got the boat ready myself because he's actually a staff member. So he was helping other people get their boats in sure. the beginning of the season. So there was a lot to do. So he we really just sailed together shortly before the race and then the race. But I, I mean, he was fantastic fantastic to sail with the communication on board was exactly how you want it you know mm. no there was no ego from either end it was just okay there's a decision coming up this is the these are the options what do we do make the decision mm. you know it was it was great <laughs> so it was a good pairing in that regard yeah 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 we hope to race together again we were talking a, a few minutes ago we were talking about not many all women teams like the the maiden factor was uh, back in the time. And then I, I remembered it was at the, in the Volvo, we had the SCA team, yep. which was an all women team. And I was trying to remember if there were other things. And all I could come up with was solo sailors like Naomi James, Ella MacArthur. They were all solos and maybe record setters or, or winners and not all of them in organized events with teams. That's something that I hadn't really thought of, but it's not out there. It, I mean, it's rare. Yeah, it's still quite rare. Yeah, and the you know the new rules they've made in the in the ocean race are quite interesting to give teams advantages if they take if they if they have X number of women on board um, or to require X number of women on board. So mm. a, a big gap right now in in getting women to excel at the top level of sailing is to give them experience in the top level of sailing to then have the opportunity to excel at it. You know, there's mm. not it's hard to get your foot in the door past a certain level. Um, so yeah, there's, it's quite interesting to see that progress now. Unlike other sports where they separate women, like the NBA and the WNBA, yeah. you can have an all women crew on a boat in say, I guess they call it the ocean race now. And they're on the same playing field as every other boat. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. I believe yeah. that's right. When you mentioned that they give some sort of advantages to a, a mixed crew that would take on more women, how do they factor that in? There's different rules for the Imoka class and the, and the 65s. So for the Imoka class and the ocean race, this next edition, um, the crew members, you can have five crew of of which at least one shall be female or six crew of which at least four shall be female. And for the Volvo 65 class, you can have a minimum of three of the crew shall be female. So the fact that they're putting those stipulations in should be really interesting to see how that affects crewing in the ocean race moving forward in the next 10 years or so. And who, who comes up with that? I imagine it's the whoever organizes the event they they came up with those rules based on input from an advocacy of of some element yeah i'm not i know the the team of sca started the magenta project so i know that Mm. they are i'm sure they've been consulted you know because they are all ocean race competitors historically so and they are women at the top of the sport so 
they're probably the most, you know, the most relevant people to have input to be mm. putting into the rules. I'm not sure exactly. There are these other guys that do this really good podcast called Around the Buoy. And I think they interviewed the woman who was the skipper in the original Maiden Factor. Tracy um, Edwards. Tracy. They interviewed Tracy about a year ago or maybe more. And uh, it's called Around the Buoy is their podcast. And they have another one out where they talk about this group called Expedition, and it's spelled with two X's, and it's all women, and they, they're apparently sailing around, and they're, they're, track, they're also picking up and tracking plastics in the ocean. Yeah. I'd not heard of that until I just saw their post recently. We, uh, I think we crossed paths with them on our way from Panama to Antigua. We tried to stop and um, chat or something, but right. it, wasn't, it wasn't working out with timing and weather and all that. But, uh, but you're familiar with them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a great project. It's, I'm glad you brought up Panama. I saw on your social media, you, you went through the canal. Did you also go through the Suez? We did in the same year. Okay. Um, but talk to me about the Panama Canal because I have a friend who just sailed from Grenada to Panama. He went through the canal. He's working his way up the Sea of Cortez. But I'm interested to hear, it looked like you're pretty mesmerized by the whole experience. It was cool, yeah. It, it couldn't be a bigger difference between the Suez and the Panama Canal as far as the, the mechanics of how they work because the Suez is really just a cut in the land between two bodies of water, but the Panama Canal has such different tidal ranges on either side that they have to use a lock system. It's incredible how much water pushes at you. And at the first time, the first lock we went into as they were raising us up, <laughs> you know, there's just swirls and eddies of water all around you, as you can imagine, you know, I can't remember the number of gallons of per second that are coming into the lock, but it's wild. And all the water swirling by. And in one of the swirls, I saw a, a, a puffer fish uh, fully inflated. Oh, <laughs> it clearly been through some trauma before the swirling oh, past our boat, poor thing. Yeah. A canal was not on his plan for the day. No, I don't no. think so. But the, the doors to the lock, when they open, it's just incredible. There's these huge hydraulic rams that slowly creak them open and the water starts going down. And when they actually, when the water is somewhat level, they can properly open them. Mm. And it's just massive. It's like unimaginable. Now, are you cool. rafted up to another boat at this point or are you just going through on your own? We went through, so in each lock, it would be us and then one larger cargo ship or larger ship of some sort. And so we were just on our own with four lines, you know, two bow lines, two stern lines. To, to the cargo ship? No, to oh. the edges of the lock. Oh, to the edge of the lock. Okay, I see. You share the same experience with them at that same time. Yeah, yeah. And so and the Suez was just a cut in the land. I mean, it was very interesting, but it didn't have the same interest. Like the awe of the engineering was not was not there. It was just interesting. I, I went to school for Arabic, so I was psyched to be speaking Arabic on a boat. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> it was an odd coincidence. Were you able um, to really give it a, a a proper go? I mean, I'm pretty rusty, and they also they speak. There's a lot of different types of Arabic, so they speak Egyptian. In Arabic in Egypt, and I I went to Egypt once before, but just for five days or something. So I knew enough to say some basic stuff, but right. it was mostly helpful docking. Uh, I was able to because the skipper would say, "No, no, not that bollard, the next one," and they're not listening to her because she's speaking English. So I would just say the next one. <laughs> they would <laughs> they would listen to it because it was in their language. Right. Were you out back to just to go back to Newport for a minute? 
Were you out on the water either with the 12s or this summer when we had that microburst that did a we, bit of damage? Like just touched the dock, tied up, and then uh, Intrepid was coming on coming in alongside us. So we just stayed out long enough to tie up their lines and then we all went down below because it started to pour down rain. Wow. And obviously, and we felt the boats list. What happened? The Oh, that whole afternoon there were little cells around. Mm. You know, we were kind of keeping an eye on all the cells all the time to see if they would grow or you know, whether to go north or south to avoid them if they, needed, if they needed to be avoided. But they all kind of dissipated before becoming too much of an obstruction. You get some wind shifts, but nothing, no increase in velocity all afternoon. And then as we were coming to the dock, there was just that one. It wasn't big in, you know, in radius or anything. It just was dense. <laughs> you could see it had wow. power in it. And one of our crew members who was racing us at the summer on Weatherly was on board the on an espo I think um that that was the that was one oh, that was that was the one that went down yeah yeah and he'd gone down to put on his foul weather gear or something and he had enough time to step out of the companionway and start swimming basically oh which is yeah. unbelievable to, to think about thankfully everyone was was safe yeah getting yeah you don't want to get trapped down below definitely and Martha Parker's Martha Parker's uh account of it was pretty incredible did you read i did that? i i read that it was on the i believe it was on the sale newport website and oh, then I I, yeah. brad reed hosted something where they had a weather expert explain the phenomenon and why newport normally gets gets a miss on these things and we, for some reason we didn't that on that one well he explains it in in his it's a it's a good chat just to go back is it, I don't know if you call it Maiden Voyage or Maiden Factor? The Maiden I, I Factor. Get, yep. Maiden Factor. Okay. That's my own notes. That's my problem. I kept defaulting because, because I read that book. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is. It, it's ongoing, isn't it? There's outreach. There's a, um, there's Q&As. There's schools that are involved. Yeah. So normally every stopover we go to, um, <laughs> I like to joke that it's, it's more relaxing to be offshore on the passage than it is to be onshore because we have so much that we do onshore in addition to the boat maintenance. But definitely, you know, we do talks with the public and at schools and mm. we have this spinnaker that we've been every every stopover we go to, we meet with schools and a certain number of kids get to put their trace their hands onto the kite and it's in a, a big spiral of changing sure. colors. So um, it's cool. It's been quite interesting to see that spiral grow bigger and bigger and yeah there's fundraisers for the charity and um and we just try to talk to kids really about about the fact that these barriers still exist and mm -hmm. it's i mean kids are funny because you say you know can you believe if, like do you think a girl should have the same opportunities as a boy and they're all like duh <laughs> of course they should but those barriers are are also at the same time they're not normally a malicious they're not normally they don't normally exist due to a malicious intent you know it's mm. simply a, a choice between you need to get water for the household and some cultural norms and has some extenuating results <laughs> what's in your uh, immediate future for sailing <laughs> other than I, i'm impressed that you you came back from antigua according to your your blog you came back from antigua and self-quarantined diligently Yes. Yeah. At the time, because we didn't know much about the virus and I was so worried about not so much getting it myself, but transmitting it sounded right. like such a moral responsibility. <laughs> right. And then I had to fly through JFK to get here to get back. So I was pretty nervous in the airport. <laughs> I was, the, time, was this April? Or? Yeah. Early yeah. at the very beginning of April. Yeah. And in your, that reminds me in your, um, 
your quarantine, you post some videos of, of you did the push-up challenge. You stayed yes, fit. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Do you train regularly to stay t- on, totally on top so you're ready to? I tried to. The summer was quite difficult. Normally in the summers, I'm so busy, but it's all physical. So you mm. end up being quite fit just from right. getting through the day. But this summer, I was so busy and and I, I I wasn't doing any of the heavy lifting, you know. I was I was had a very strong index finger, <laughs> uh, <laughs> directing directing people. So I've kind of restarted in the last month or two, um, getting back into a proper fitness program. Presumably, when we're able to get out and about again, are your plans to return to the twelves next summer, or are you going to move on? No, we we hope to rejoin Maiden in. in um, in April is what we currently think, but I'm sure it'll change again. Um, where where is she now? She's in the UK, so we would rejoin there. And well, it's hard to say exactly what'll happen because still, you know, still a month yeah. away, and things change by the day. But yeah, um, well, they just they just took a half step back. Yes, that's right. A, a step yeah. and a half. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. But if not that, then I'll I'll try to get some more um, shorthanded racing in, or I mean, it'd be great to race on a on a bigger maxi program. Mm. Get my foot in the door there. Is there anyone in particular who's been a mentor to you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, oh yeah. You from the twelve meters fleet has been Mike Patterson. Oh yeah. Um, he trained me up on Intrepid. He gave me my first chance to drive a twelve. Really, he he trained me to drive them and run them, and he's still my first call when i've got questions about him yeah um, i like mike he, in fact i want to get him on this podcast i want to talk to him oh you definitely should he'd be yeah. awesome if you ask him if he's got stories to tell he'll say no 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 but if you don't ask him and you just chat with him the stories don't stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah i met mike back well back in the 90s i get late 90s i guess when he was running 12s. Yeah. i worked on the harbor and i, I met him then nice let me go to my seamanship questions here. This is fun. Have you ever fallen overboard? No, I've not fallen overboard. Good for you. That is, yeah. Stay with the boat. In fact, did I read that correctly? Your dad <laughs> sailed across the Atlantic and he doesn't know how to swim? Yeah, not very well. Well, you believe, you believe he slept in his life jacket. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He yeah. Uh, says he didn't um, leave the cockpit very often. But I don't know if you know that he he did the BOC in 1982. Oh, I uh, didn't know. And he actually lost his boat in the Indian Ocean. So he was rescued by Francis Stokes, um, a fellow competitor. Um, oh, I know him. Yeah. I didn't know that story. My introduction to him came from the O-Star, uh, the transatlantic, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he did... Um, Three of those, I mm. but I was uh, pretty happy to cross the Indian Ocean successfully last night. <laughs> <laughs> you take a picture and kind of send yeah. it to him. Yeah, hey dad, look, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I asked this question to a, a bunch of different people because I, I think it's interesting. We've often seen technology, whether it be from a 12 meter or anything that was in at a highly competitive level. Some of it trickles down and we ultimately see it on either a smaller racing boat, a category of racing boats, or a, a cruising boat. 
and I had a funny conversation with Charlie Doan about this because he's the cruising editor for Cruising World magazine. We talked about the wing, the famous wing keel, and he was telling me how horrible they were and that like they tried to put them on cruising boats and then they you'd ground and you get stuck in mud and they, they really sucked themselves in. But we, we talked about foiling and because that's the big thing now. And they're in the Mocha boats, they're on, obviously in the America's Cup. You ever think we'll see those people foiling around? Well, I've already seen people on surfboards foiling through the harbor. Yeah, I... I mean, I'm, I think it already has trickled down a tremendous amount, which mm. is kind of amazing because it, it was so revolutionary when, you know, we first saw the moths around the harbor. That was like, I mean, still people are pretty shocked by it, but it's more people know about it now. And it's definitely, you know, there's this kind of recreational level of flight boards and foil boards that mm. they're just becoming common. It's kind of amazing. And Gertz had that electric power boat that had foils on it as well. Red, oh, red I didn't boat. see that. I think they sailed, They flew through the harbor a year ago or something. Obviously, mm. they got a slap on the wrist for speeding, <laughs> uh, but they're like, no week, no week, because <laughs> they're on foils. Yeah, I, wow. I, I don't know how much it, because it, once you start foiling, the the risks and the damages are so much greater when you do mess up. So yeah. I don't know how thoroughly that will come into the recreational level. But, you know, the figure 03s have foils but they don't lift you out of the of the water they just make you more efficient to windward and keep you from from healing as much as you it's you know it's it replaced the water ballast in the figure twos now they have these mm. uh, j foils so that might be a more reasonable trickle down engineering from the the foils that lift you what, what is your go-to tool or one that you would never leave the dock without gotta go with my leatherman real yeah classic yeah tried classic. and true <laughs> <laughs> oh i was gonna ask you you have a video it was again back to the maiden you cooked a pad thai <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know was that on board the maiden because you had an electric cooktop we have an electric cooktop on maiden yeah Wow. Um, so when you're cooking, you got to fire up the gen set. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You can, you know, boil water, things like that without it. But but my big takeaway, and I guess I, I already knew this, was the bell pepper. That's a classic ingredient. You can do so much with that. Yeah, and they last an um, incredible amount of time offshore. Well, not just offshore, you know, on your shelf. They're, mm. they're fresh when you buy them. They last for ages. So that's a – we always, always buy bell peppers before going offshore. It's one of the staples. Excellent. Your page lists you as a, you're a professional athlete or an athlete. Are, are you sponsored or do you have a, a professional affiliation with anyone? No, I'm not sponsored. Uh, no. we, we have so much media going on with Maiden. Um, I mm. wanted to have a, I, you know, we get so many friend requests from people that I'm not sure if I have met them or not, you know, I might have seen them on an open boat or something, but I just decided to make a uh, sort of more public way to interact with people that didn't have to let them into my personal life. <laughs> That's a good plan. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, Sounds I good. appreciate Yeah. Thanks for chatting. Now, do you have a website if people want to follow? What's the best way to follow your what you're involved with? Uh, and how would you encourage people to engage if they can't get out on the water? You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Lush Sailing. Mm-hmm. Two pages. I had a website at one point, but it's um, kind of a hodgepodge of like several different past lives. So it's uh, <laughs> maybe not the most coherent um, path to reach me. And I, I actually, I meant to mention as well with the 
Magenta project. I feel like I should mention that I'm I'm part of their current mentee scheme. I'm one of their mentees for the current round of yeah. candidates. Yeah, so I'm working with the Magenta project over the weird time in the winter to kind of find what's what's next. But okay. that's another really cool organization. If people are interested in promoting women in the sport, that's all that was formed by past SEA um, members. So uh, it's quite quite a cool organization. And the maiden factor is still an ongoing thing. That's still- yeah. We're we're obviously paused right now with COVID, and we're so mm. both back in the UK, and we're waiting for kind of the virus to get under control, and then we are seeking out more corporate sponsorship as well. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. No worries. listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.